Well, good morning. It's a great joy to welcome you this morning to Alliance Bible Fellowship. Uh, I know that uh, on a holiday weekend like this, that we probably have lots of family and friends and guests from outside of, the, uh, of our community. Uh, we just thank you for being here and choosing to worship with us uh, this morning. You know, as the video at the beginning noted, yesterday was the 4th of July or, or Independence Day, and we celebrated, I suspect that you did, the birth of our nation and our freedoms, the freedoms that we enjoy. I, I am deeply thankful for the great privilege that we have to be part of this great nation. Uh, and, and as we know, that freedom came at great cost. You, you remember that we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how soldiers who gained then in the Revolutionary War um, and now maintain, soldiers now maintain um, our freedoms, have had to endure hardship and suffering besides the normal routine of rigorous training and discipline and sleep and food deprivation, exposure to the elements, heat and cold, uh, fatigue to the point of exhaustion. They also, even currently, fight in wars to defend us and our ideals, sometimes giving their lives in the process. And so we talked uh, about the Medal of Honor awarded for, quote, conspicuous gallantry or valor above and beyond the call of duty, and, and how today um, that medal is usually awarded um, posthumously. That is, the recipient did not survive the event. I am kind of curious. I didn't ask this a couple of weeks ago. Anybody here, uh, I know we don't normally... You don't normally like to acknowledge that, but anybody, any Medal of Honor winners here? I'm not aware of any. Anybody have a family member who was a Medal of Honor winner? No one. Wow. Okay. Oh, right here? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, don't be embarrassed. That is very... I didn't think we'd have anybody. I'm, I'm, that's very exciting. The, yeah. Uh, I'd like to hear the story. <laughs> um, the Purple Heart is another medal, and it is given to those, a soldier wounded in combat. Kind of curious. Anybody, any Purple Heart uh, medal winners here? Any family members? Uh, where? Come on, let's get some hands up. There we go. Purple Heart. Thank you for your service. Um, I don't know about you, but as I think about those two medals, I just as soon go for the Soldier's Medal. The Soldier's Medal is awarded for heroism not involving conflict with the enemy. <laughs> That's mine. You know, truth be told, I think most of us want to fight the Christian war that way as well. We want the glory, you know, wear the Christian armor, <laughs> strut around in the uniform, want the medals, the victor's crown, but I don't want the conflict. I don't want to go out and fight on the front lines, get my hands dirty, putting my uh, life and liberty at risk. I, I would rather um, have a life of ease se secured by nominal Christian commitment. But you see, Paul has been telling Timothy, it does not work that way. You see, there is a scriptural principle that we need to understand this morning. It goes like this. Before the crown, there must be a cross. 
You see, our spiritual freedom also came at great cost. And it was Jesus, our commander-in-chief, who said, take up your cross daily and follow me. You must be willing to die to yourself, which at times may entail suffering, even to the point of physical death. There must be a cross before there can be a crown. Uh, Paul has been encouraging Timothy in our study of 2 Timothy of this very fact. He told him suffering is coming, persecution is on the way, so so kindle afresh uh, the gift of God within you. Remember, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and, and, and love and discipline. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That is, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Take your share, critical word, important word, take your share of suffering. Don't be ashamed of me like others have, those who have deserted me in my time of greatest need. No, rather serve me, serve with me like uh, Onesiphorus, who endured much uh, to do so. In fact, perhaps even gave his life. Remain committed Timothy, guard the truth that I passed on to you as a standard, as a, as a pattern of sound teaching. Entrust it to others who will in turn pass it on uh, to others, pass on this truth. We must preserve the truth of the gospel and it will, if you do that, it will cost you. So we saw him tell Timothy last time we were in this book, endure suffering as a soldier. Don't get caught up in civilian affairs. Rather, seek to please your commanding officer, Jesus. He told Timothy to be disciplined as an athlete, to be involved in strict training to, to win the prize, the victor's crown. And like a farmer, work hard, work patiently, and you will be, you will be rewarded. In fact, all of those metaphors on the screen, we see that suffering, the cross, comes before the crown. This morning, Paul turns his attention to two other examples, including the greatest of all examples to illustrate his point. He's going to say, remember Jesus Christ. (laughs) Did Jesus endure a cross before the crown, before the joy set before him? Did he set an example of suffering that we should follow in his steps? Well, th- yes. First Peter chapter 2 says, If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Yay! You've been called, among other things, for the purpose of suffering. So let's read the text before us this morning in our ongoing study of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he was risen from the dead, a descendant of David, um, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to the even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It's a trustworthy statement. If, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure suffering, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, like some have done, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, Listen, he remains faithful, 
He will remain faithful to his promise. You deny him, he will deny you. If you become faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Timothy, I have been calling you to to suffering, which is the way of the Christian life. Uh, I want to remind you by way of a couple more examples. Uh, The example of Christ himself, uh, uh, my personal example yet again, and then he's going to set before us the truth of yet another trustworthy statement. Paul uh, Paul had said, Timothy, the Neronian persecutions are spreading. They, They are coming your way. Many have quit. They've deserted their ministries. Some have even deserted the faith. We need faithful men to to spread the truth, who won't quit under pressure, who will suffer hardship, they will remain disciplined, they will labor patiently. Those who recognize that suffering comes before glory, the cross comes before a crown. He starts with, remember Jesus Christ. What greater example do we have than he who endured his cross before he was glorified? It's fine uh, to look at those who were victorious over trials, and there were many, who courageously faced death. But in our quest for spiritual maturity, in this Christian life, in our Christian race, for triumphs over trial, while recounting the story of countless martyrs, we must not forget to look to him who was the greatest of all, well, martyrs. No one... Um, has ever nor will ever suffer to a greater degree than did our Lord. And, and no one will ever be glorified to a higher place, for he has been exalted to the highest place. He, he is the, um, the subject of the first chapter of that famous work, Fox's Christian Martyrs of the wor- World, and well should be, subject of the first chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But we do see him who was made a little lower, uh, for a little while, lower than the angels. Namely, who is him, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Suffering before glory, death before honor, cross before crown. I'll take the soldier's medal most times. In times of suffering when you are tempted to desert, in in times of decision when you are tempted to keep your mouth shut rather than speak gospel truth, remember Jesus Christ. Remember he suffered for you. By the way, this might be interesting to know, this is the only time in 2 Timothy that Paul refers to him as Jesus Christ. Every other time it is Christ Jesus. That's because he is focusing on the humanity of Christ and his suffering in the flesh. You see, in this text, um, Paul says two things about Christ. First, he says Jesus was risen from the dead. The, The fact that he was dead reminds us of his suffering. The fact that he was risen reminds us, reminds us of his glorification. Cross before crown. Note the order. He was not raised before he suffered. 
just a side note here, but I do want you to understand that the word risen, risen from the dead, the word risen is in the perfect tense. Very exciting. The perfect tense means something happened at some point in the past, but has ongoing effect. It means that he was risen from the dead and in fact still is. Well, the first Easter is an historical event. It is infinitely more than that. I think the reason that sometimes we do look to other people uh, for our spiritual strength to remain committed is because we think of Jesus as, well, we think of him as a historical figure. You know, Jesus of Nazareth who walked along the shores of Galilee in the hills of Judea. The man, uh, this man, Jesus, who healed people, made the lame to walk, the blind to see. Uh, this Jesus who drove out demons and even raised other people from the dead. But then they died again, you see. But do we see Jesus as not only risen from the dead, but who is still the risen Lord, alive today, seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning? That truth so familiar should thrill us when we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Perfect tense, still risen today. He is our exalted Savior. Remember Jesus. Secondly, we see that he is a descendant of David. You see, in order to be the Christ, we we know that he must be, according to Old Testament prophecy, a descendant of David. But again, Uh, Paul is emphasizing the Lord's humanity and all of the suffering that that entailed, culminating in the cross. He was physically, you see, a descendant of David. And these together, physical descendant of David, risen from the dead, form Paul's gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, taking on human flesh, suffering as He did, taking in His body our sins on the cross, dying for us, suffering as no one has ever suffered. Having been buried then for three days, He was and is risen from the dead. This central truth to Paul. He said it this way in Romans chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Here's I'm going to talk about the gospel. In fact, I'm going to talk about the gospel throughout this entire book which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was, what? He was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. A descendant of David, which was proof of his humanity, risen from the dead, proof of his deity. Don't forget that, he is saying, in the midst of life's challenges, don't I know it's hard. I know it's tough. Remember Jesus. John Stott says it this way. So then, Timothy, when you are tempted to avoid pain, humiliation, suffering, or even death in your ministry, remember Jesus Christ and think again. Paul did not forget Jesus. And for that, he too suffered. Brings us to our second point, the example of Paul himself. He speaks of his present imprisonment, which we know is one of many, in verse 9, for which I, in which I suffer hardship. It's the same word uh, that we've already seen twice um, already, which speaks of enduring um, suffering, uh, taking your fair share of evil treatment, having encouraged Timothy to be ready to take his fair share of suffering. He reminds Timothy that he was only telling him to do what he himself was already doing, practicing what he was preaching. He was suffering, we see here, to the point of being chained like a criminal. 
a criminal. That's a terrible word. It's only used, by the way, interesting, only one other time in Scripture, this word criminal, by Luke when, in chapter 23 when he used to describe those who were crucified with Jesus. It's a terrible word. They were murderers, they were thieves, hardened criminals who deserved death. Paul says, I am being treated like one of those, just like Jesus was, because I believe in Jesus and I preach his gospel. He was suffering, you see, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. But, but now don't miss this. Despite all of the human effort, all of the human effort to bind the, the gospel, they had imprisoned the apostle Paul, the, 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 the pro prominent leader of this sect called Christianity. They were putting followers of Jesus to death. Remember when we began this book, we talked about how they were putting followers of Jesus to death, lighting them on fire alive, sewing them in animal skins, throwing them to the lions. Terrible. Doing that. Despite all of their efforts, he says, the word of God is not imprisoned. It's not chained. You, you can't stop it. They could not stop the spread of the gospel. Persecution always proves to be the seed of the church. Persecution spread the gospel to the far reaches of the empire. You cannot stop the gospel. Jesus said, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not overcome it. There's nothing you can do to stop the spread of the gospel. How was the word not in prison? Well, think about it. First, while Paul was bound, there were others, such as Timothy, who were still free and, and proclaiming the truth. Not, not only that, he was, he was likely, as he did in Philippi, proclaiming the truth in prison. There were other prisoners and guards who were being saved. But think about it. Even as Paul was physically bound, they could not bind the word that God was inspiring through him. What, what do I mean? <laughs> What was Paul doing right now while he was chained? He was writing his son in the faith a letter. How do you think the enemies of Christianity would feel to know that today we in the church are studying that very same letter as it became part of our sacred canon of Scripture? The Word of God cannot be bound no matter what the circumstances I'm always reminded, I don't have this in my notes, I'm always reminded at this particular point of, of Voltaire, who was an atheist, and uh, said that within his, he vehemently opposed Christianity, and he said that within his lifetime, Christianity would be extinct. It wasn't, by the way, I think he lived in the 1700s, in fact, uh, it, it, I don't know if you noticed, but Christianity is not extinct 300 years later. Not only that, that 100 years after his death, a Bible society purchased his house from which they now produce Bibles. The encouragement for us is to allow God to use us despite circumstances, sufferings, struggle, opposition. God and his gospel will ultimately prevail. The Desiring God website posted an article yesterday which stated, which started with the following words. The 350-year marriage of Protestant Christian theology and American popular culture is over. Christianity, it may be sadly said, is no longer the preeminent social influence in American life. We Christians who dare to presume that America was ever all and only ours are apart from some God-ordained awakening, unlikely to, quote, get our country back. 
we will live and work henceforth as do most other Christians around the world amidst a public square hostile to our beliefs. I believe that. I believe this most recent event should come as no surprise to us. I, be I believe this. And when that happens, when the enemy tries to bind us in difficult circumstances, persecutions, trials, may we never wallow in self-pity, fear, or timidity, keeping us from sharing the truth of the gospel. May we always remember it will never, ever be bound, no matter what they say. In the midst of this present imprisonment, Paul tells us how he was able to endure it, even to death. In verse 10, he gives us his motivations for suffering. This is actually incredible. For this reason, the reason that I endure all things to include my present suffering is for the sake of those who are chosen. Your translation, the ESV, the NIV, both have it for the sake of the elect. Everything Paul suffered, everything that he endured, including his present imprisonment, was for the sake of the chosen, for the sake of the elect. Who are the elect? It, 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 it's clear in Scripture, those chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to be recipients of salvation. Notice Paul calls them presently chosen, but he speaks of their salvation as yet future. They are elect because they are chosen to be saved. And they will one day be so. Because salvation, you see, is all of God. It is through grace alone, by faith alone, on account of Christ's work alone. But notice that God has ordained that the means of their obtaining or hearing of that salvation with eternal glory to come was through the efforts, the proclamation of his followers, which includes suffering. I know, we're talking about the doctrine of election, and I know people don't like it. Uh, they, they say, if God has chosen those who will be saved, and they will respond to his irresistible call, then why witness? Paul tells us why right here. Paul, uh, God has ordained the means of the propagation of the gospel to be through those who have been saved to those who will be saved. And neither Paul nor we, frankly, know who the elect are, so we endure all for the sake of the elect. In fact, since God ordained the method, the proclamation of the gospel, could we not say that God ordained the means to include Paul's current imprisonment? Is it possible, being willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect, that Paul was in his current situation to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ right there where he was, in prison, much like Saeed Abedini and others are doing right now. Is it possible, uh, with, as with his past sufferings, that those who afflicted him, his enemies, might be the elect, and his testimony in those afflictions might have a direct impact, a direct effect on their conversion? Is it possible that you are suffering, whatever it is that you are suffering, for the sake of the elect? 1 Peter 2 says it this way. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you or oppose you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of His visitation. What visitation? On the day He visits them with electing grace for salvation. The way I, my brothers and sisters, the way that we respond to suffering can impact others for the gospel. Peter goes on to cite, after in 1 Peter chapter 2, he goes on to cite examples of governing authorities, employers, and spouses, even spouses, who may cause us to suffer, probably shouldn't say amen right now, um, cause us to suffer, who uh, we may see one to Christ by our response. So how do you respond to your share of evil treatment. Do you lash out, fight back, return evil for evil? I have my, I'm an American, I have my rights. Oh, good for you. That's good. Or perhaps do you return evil with nothing? You realize perhaps to return evil with evil would not be good, so instead you're careful to do nothing. You don't return evil with evil, but certainly not good either. Or do you follow the biblical command of repaying evil with kindness, realizing that in so doing you may be enduring all things for the sake of the elect? Notice he did endure all things for the sake of those chosen. His love for God's people caused him to endure everything that he listed in 2 Corinthians 11 that we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago, how he... Uh, Endured hard work, imprisonments, floggings, whips, rods, stoning, shipwreck, constant danger, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness, ultimately death. Sounds to me like he was being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So what is the point? Here's a question for you to consider. What is the point at which uh, we arrive when we say that's, that's it? They have gone too far. There is only so much abuse that I can put up with. What is that point for you? How far will you go? And how does that compare with the all things that Paul suffered? How does that compare with what Christ suffered for you? We must remember all of our trials are infinitely worth it in view of the priceless eternal benefits the elect will receive. Finally, we arrive at Paul's trustworthy statement. I'm just going to go through this very, very quickly because I'm like out of time. That furthers this truth of suffering for the sake of the gospel, verses 11 to 13. Paul quotes what many feel are an early hymn. It is made up of four couplets, uh, which actually begin, he actually begins two couplets as an encouragement and two as a severe warning. First, we see the encouragement in verses 11, first part of verse 12 they actually form a striking contrast. This should really grab our attention. You see, he says, if you die, you will live. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you die, you will live. If you submit, that is, if you endure, you will reign. These are concepts foreign uh, in, in our world, but essential to the core truth of Christianity. You see, when you die to yourself, it is then that you live in, in him. And when we submit to his lordship and endure suffering, we will one day reign with him. 
Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, is not what the Mormons say. Secondly, we see the warning given us in the second part of verse 12 into verse 13. Same idea is expressed. He is saying the same thing in these two couplets, just a little different way. In verse 12, we are told that if we deny him, he will also deny us. This idea of denying is refusing to acknowledge, all right? Now, remember the purpose of Paul's letter. He's encouraging Timothy to remain faithful in the face of persecution, faithful when others have deserted or disowned or denied their faith. Paul gives him the grave reminder that if we deny Jesus, if we deny Christ, he, if we refuse to acknowledge him, that's what it means to deny, we refuse to acknowledge him as our Savior, he will refuse to acknowledge us. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Pretty straightforward. The one who deserts, the one who leaves, who is this one who deserts? He's much like the one described in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Let me just read you a couple of verses. It says, the one on whom the seed, the seed of the gospel, the seed of God's word was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it. With joy, uh, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution, Phygelus and Hermogenes, when, and when it arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. Falls away because of persecution, no reality of faith. It was only temporary. Finally, he says, finally, he says the same thing in a different way. If we become faithless, if we refuse a faith in him, the implication is that he will then deny us. And lots of discussion about this verse. What does it mean to become faithless? Is Paul saying here that once you have faith, you can later become faithless, and it doesn't matter, he will remain faithful, you will remain saved. Is that what it's saying? I don't think so. Others say that he is saying the same thing that he said in the previous couplet. If you become faithless in that, you, in that your faith was not genuine and at the first sign of trouble you denied him, he will not save you anyway. I, I, I think it's that one. The very character of God is in question. For your faithlessness cannot cause him to be unfaithful to himself unfaithful to his word, unfaithful to his promise that he has declared that the unbelieving, those who deny him, he will deny. The unbelieving will perish. To do so, he would have to deny himself. He will not do that. So you deny him, he will deny you. He will remain faithful to that promise. You say, wait a minute, what about Peter? He denied Jesus, didn't he? And yet God did not deny him, right? We're gonna see him in heaven, in fact, in John chapter 21, we see Jesus restoring Peter. You're right. Here's the question. What did Peter do immediately after he denied the Lord when he heard the, roast, uh, the rooster crow? The rooster crew? What, what did, <laughs> that's what I started to say. What did he do? He immediately went out and wept bitter tears of repentance. He repented, which is proof of genuine faith. What Paul has in mind here is a complete break with Christianity, a settled Final kind of denial, a settled, final faithlessness. You do that, no reality of genuine saving faith, he will deny you. Paul is saying, in spite of the persecution, despite what others have done in their desertions, do not deny Christ, do not become faithless. Never entertain thoughts of quitting during difficult circumstances. Remain faithful to the faith. 
It's going to get more difficult, brothers and sisters. Remain faithful to the faith. Because we must remember that before the crown comes the cross. And we are, after all, in good company. We are in the company of Paul and Timothy and Onesiphorus and Jesus Christ. Listen to John Stott as I close. It is this principle, cross before crown. It is this principle which took Jesus through a lowly birth and a shameful death to his glorious resurrection and heavenly reign. It is this principle which had brought Paul his chains in prison cell in order that the elect might obtain salvation and glory. It is the same principle which makes the soldier willing to endure hardship, the athlete discipline, and the farmer toil. It would be ridiculous, therefore, to expect our Christian life and service to cost us nothing. Ridiculous. Let's pray. Father, this has been already an incredible book through the first chapter and a half as, as Paul has been calling us, reminding us that the way of the Christian life is the way of suffering. And when suffering or persecution or opposition or ridicule, however, whatever it looks like, and it is open season on Christians right now, in, in whatever way it comes, remain faithful. Help us by the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit to remain faithful to the gospel and let come what may we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.